Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Lincoln Kia Hyundai, great new product lines. Fabulous pre owned inventory. With the Sunbury Motors Guarantee, great sales staff, fabulous service department, all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. We told you earlier, former Bucknell player Jimmy Sotos out of tonight's game with Penn State with a shoulder injury, but another former Bucknell player is in the NBA draining threes, Mike Mascala. Here's another drive and kick. Open three. Muscala's got another one. And so the threes drop it in here. That's the 300th three-pointer of Mike Muscala's NBA career. He's done really, really well. The key once you get to that level, right, when you get to that level in the pros, keep your career alive. And Mike Muscala's done a great job of keeping his career alive. Scott Lauber now joins us from the Philadelphia Choir. Hey, Scott, Happy New Year. Great to have you with us. Thanks so much for your time today. Hey, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. So, JT Real Milto, uh, five years, 115. Your thought on the signing and the amount? 115.5. And, and don't forget that point five. It's important because... Uh, it's what Real Muto needed to put him over Joe Maurer um, yeah. and become the highest paid, by average annual salary, the highest paid catcher ever, 31.1, uh, 30, I'm sorry, um, $23.1 million per year on an annual basis. Maurer right. was 23, so that's ultimately what sealed the deal. And um, look, I mean, you know, I think we've probably been talking about Will they or won't they with JT Real Muto since last March? And, um, you know, it took way longer than, than anybody thought. It also took the, the New York Mets, I think, sort of zagging where everyone thought they'd zig. Everyone thought that they would target Real Muto this offseason. Instead, they signed James McCann. And that really caused Real Muto's market to, uh, to never fully develop. And um, I think by the end, uh, by this week or last weekend, it became clear to, to Real Muto's group that uh, the Phillies' offer, which hadn't changed much, um, from what I understand, hadn't changed much since last March, was the best they were going to get. And it's it's pretty darn good. Um, like I said, it gets them the catcher record. Uh, it is also the largest uh, contract for a free agent catcher. Uh, Maurer and Buster Posey are the only other catchers who've ever gotten $100 million or more. And those were contract extensions. Uh, so, you know, Real Muto sort of gets what he wants in that he set, he set records for catchers, but, um, you know, I think got less in the end than, than he expected to get overall. In reality, who are the Phillies bidding against? 
Yeah, I mean, by the end of it, not not very many teams. You know, there was a rumor last week that the Braves were, I think the word that was used was circling, that they were circling Real Muto a little bit. And the people I talked to um, around the league, uh, their, their guess was that uh, the Braves were checking in because, you know, here we are three weeks from spring training and Real Muto sure. still hadn't signed yet. So the Braves and probably a lot of other teams were checking in. But in Atlanta's case, they probably were not going to go to five years the way the Phillies did. And if there was a threat at all, and, and we're not sure that there was from the Braves, it was maybe that they would, they would try to lure Real Muto on a shorter term with a higher average annual salary, you know, give him closer to $25 million a year, but maybe for a year or two. And, you know, he's a catcher who's 30. I, I don't, you know, I think ultimately he was concerned about, you know, signing a short-term deal and then having to go through this again uh, in, a, in a few mm-hmm. years when he's 31 or 32. Uh, as you know, for catchers, that's sort of dangerous territory when you get into your 30s. So, you know, I think he wanted the security of a longer deal. He got a five-year deal from the Phillies, and, and really I think ultimately it was – you know, I don't. I don't think that there were any that there was anybody else who was offering that that sort of guarantee. Right. So, what does this now do for the lineup and the foundation of that lineup for the Phillies? Because obviously, Harper's signed between now and twenty three hundred, and <laughs> and uh, obviously JT is signed. So, what does this do for the foundation of the Phillies? Well, it's interesting, Steve, because you know if they were one of the five best teams in the National League last year. You could look at a move like this and say, "All right, they brought back a uh, you know a a player who I sort of felt was indispensable to their lineup. He he is indispensable. I mean, he's there was no way to replace him. And you'd say, okay, well, you know, you bring a guy like that back and just try to you know roll it back and go for it again. Except that they weren't one of the five best teams in the National League last year. They missed the playoffs. So in re-signing Real Muto, they certainly make themselves a stronger contender to make the playoffs, but they hardly punched their ticket to get in by simply bringing him back. They still need a lot of things, including, you know, some clarity at shortstop. Uh, and I think the biggest thing for me, and I wrote this last week, they need help in their starting rotation. Uh, this yes. year of all years, coming off a 60-game season last year, where even even the most durable starting pitchers, you know, threw somewhere between 50 and 70 innings last year, Teams are going to be trying to retrain pitchers to throw a full, a full season's worth of innings, and I yeah. think because of that, they're going to need more pitchers than they've ever needed before. Depth is going to become very, very important. And I look at the Phillies' rotation, and I see the starting five, and not a whole lot beyond that. And even within that starting five, you know, how many innings can Spencer Howard provide? How many can Vince Velasquez provide? So. Uh, I I think if I were them, uh, you know, uh, fortunately there are still a lot of free agents unsigned. I'm making a run at some good old-fashioned innings eaters, guys who can give me uh, give me innings and and maybe an average or even slightly a you know below average ERA, just to kind of help me fill in the gaps there a little bit. Who would be among the targets in your mind? So they attended a workout a few weeks ago. Um, uh, held by Anibal Sanchez, uh, late of the, the Nationals. He pitched for Dave Dombrowski in Detroit uh, and Miami. Um, he's a guy who's coming off a year last year that wasn't very good, but he's a veteran pitcher with a track record. I think you're looking at a guy like that, a guy like him, maybe Rick Porcello. 
you know, there are those kinds of guys out there who could wind up signing uh, in the next couple of weeks, maybe right up to the start of spring training for sort of a lower base, high incentive kind of deal. And, you know, I think that's what you're looking at. Yesterday, it got kind of overlooked by the Real Muto uh, news, but they signed Ivan Nova, Ivan Nova, to, yes. a, uh, to a minor league deal. You know, yep. guy used to pitch for the Yankees and the Pirates. And, you know, the last few years, last year not, not included because it was a short season, but, you know, 17, 18, 19, you know, he was throwing 170 innings a season Absolutely. with a league average ERA. That's kind of the guy that, you know, the kind of guy that, that I think they need to look for. You don't need a top-of-the-rotation guy. You've got those with Nola and Wheeler, and they think very, you know, they're very bullish on Zach Eflin. What you need is, uh, you know, guys to fill out the four and five and six and seven spots in your rotation because you're going to need that many guys. No no question. Uh, how do you feel about the bullpen? Because some of those guys are going to have to eat a few innings once in a while. Yeah, they sure are. So you feel better about it, right, after they signed Archie Bradley. He's a, he's Huge. a solid major league reliever. Great, great um, signing. What's that? I said I thought that was a great signing. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the value on that was tremendous. Uh, so one-year, $6 million deal at a time when, you know, other relievers, you know, Liam Hendricks is signing for, you know, $54 million. And, you know, even the guys on one-year deals, Brad Hand is getting $10.5 million. So to get to get an Archie Bradley for that, and I think they need another guy like that, you know, whether it's Shane Green, who's still available, um, somebody somebody like that who, you know, has a track record, of pitching in the late innings and can help help the back end of the bullpen a little bit, uh, but they're also I'll tell you what I mean they're also counting on um, you know sort of you know the bullpen can't possibly be worse than it was last year. Like Joe Girardi said something a few weeks ago that made me laugh. He said, uh, you know we we could have told the hitters what was coming and and they wouldn't have they wouldn't have hit the ball the way they did last year against us. It was just one of those things. They had two awful brutal months. And you know you can you can withstand that a little bit when the season's six months long, but when it's two months long, you're, you're, it it's kind of torpedoes your year, and that's exactly what happened to them. So they're just hoping that you know, look, with Bradley and then some of the um, some of the sort of uh, you know upside uh, moves that they've made for guys like um, Alvarado and Sam Coonrod and. You know, hopefully that makes them a little deeper and a little stronger. But they're also hoping the guys that are returning are going to just be better because they can't be any worse. Right. It's usually hope's not a strategy, but you'll go with it. Um, the Hall of Fame vote, mm. nobody elected. Schilling was the closest at seventy-one point one percent. Bonds and Clemens at plateaued. What were your thoughts on the Hall of Fame vote? Yeah, I mean. Unfortunately, it looks it looked like that was what was going to happen. You know, as as people began to make their ballots public uh, over the last few months, and it's tracked pretty well online. There's a, a guy named Ryan Thibodeau who's out of the Bay Area who keeps pretty good track of these things. And Schilling was tracking right at around 75 percent, or slightly under, on the ballots that were made public. And usually, what happens is people who don't make their ballots public. You know, usually are not are, are either not voting for um, you know the the PED guys or the controversial guys like Schilling. Um, uh, the percentage tends to go down, is what I'm saying, from the public ballots to the official That's announcement. Right. So 
the fact that Schilling was tracking right around 75 and the other guys, Bonds and Clemens, were not at 75% told me that we were probably going to end up with this result. Um, no inductee. It's not great for baseball. You know, ideally, I think, um, you know, when you have players of this caliber on the ballot, some of the greatest players who've ever played, you'd like to have an inductee. We're going to have inductees this year because there was no ceremony last year. So right. Derek Jeter will still be honored in July, and so will Larry Walker and Ted Simmons and Marvin Miller. We're just not going to have anyone from the class of 2021. And, you know, we could probably have, uh, you know, a convers- an entire show full of conversation about, about all that. Um, it just, you know, it, it sets up a totally insane, bonkers uh, uh, ballot next year because Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling will all be going into their 10th and final year on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, A-Rod and David Ortiz will be coming on for the first time. So we're just going to have this convergence of, you know, PED debates like we've never had before, which is saying something because it seems like it's all we talk about when it comes to the Hall of Fame voting. In fact, there were 14 ballots. To go to your point about being in the 75% range, there were 14 ballots that were returned that were blank. It didn't select anybody. Well, anybody doing that survey... You know, I I think that's that's a perfectly valid way to vote. I mean... Oh yeah. If you don't, if you don't think that there's anyone you want to check, you can send it back blank. There's nothing that says you have to check a name. So right. I respect the people who who voted that way. I voted for six people. Um, I voted for Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Roll, Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, and Gary Sheffield. Um, my my this is my sixth year voting, and my my the way I've gone is I tend to vote for the same people year in you know year over year, unless something dramatic were to happen um that hasn't happened yet in my experience so i'll I'll probably check those six names again next year but you know i mean it's perfectly reasonable to look at that ballot and say nope there's nobody i want to support and turn it in that way and my point was uh actually in that was if shilling was hovering at 75 percent as you said some people would not they wouldn't have all the ballots available he'd trend down my point is yeah. The people he contacted didn't say, hey, I didn't vote for anybody. The 14 right. that were turned in probably were not a part of the, that grouping. That's why that's an automatic that tells you you're going to trend down. That was the point of, the, of what I was trying to make there. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. I mean, having said the, what I just said, that you know, I think it's a perfectly legitimate vote to send, send in a blank ballot. I am glad that Schilling fell 16 sh- votes short and not 14. Right. Uh, because those, <laughs> those blank ballots would become a much, much larger yeah. issue if that was really truly what cost him from getting in. And so now, of course, Schilling says he doesn't even want to be on the ballot next year. Ultimately, I think, I hope the Hall of Fame will keep him on um, because I think it's yeah, I think it's a dangerous road to go down to allow a, uh, a candidate to sort of dictate that. Um, the Hall of Fame is, you know, appoints a committee to decide who's on the ballot and who's, who's not, and he's got one year left, and... I, I I think he should get one more year. I mean, look, he did get seventy one percent, and right. uh, I think that you know I think that I read something where uh, nobody's ever gotten seventy percent and not gotten in. Um, you know, he might be the first to get to that level and not get in. But boy, you get seventy one percent, you fall sixteen votes short, and you say you don't want to be on the ballot anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think we ought to you know we ought to let the the the, the whole thing play out one more year and find out. Scott, you're allowed to vote for ten, right? You are. You're allowed to vote for a maximum okay. of 10. Okay. And uh, that used to be a problem. I mean, look, we went through a 
we went through a year um, um, seven or eight years ago where we had nobody get in, and there was kind of a backlog. And my first few years voting, I, I had a hard time capping it at 10. I don't feel that way right now. I voted for six, and while there were a few other players, Andrew Jones uh, being one of them who I gave a lot of consideration to, I decided to, to not vote for them at the, yet. At this point, I, I could... I could be compelled um, within the next year to, to, to go that way. But, you know, I, I haven't been at the t limit of 10 the last couple of years, and, you know, it just doesn't feel like there are 10 names. But, you know, a lot of people did still vote for 10, and, and um, you know, there are a lot of interesting ones, a lot of interesting cases to, to be made. Todd Helton is an interesting one. Um, yes. So there are a lot of very good players, obviously a lot of great players who are on that list. Scott, an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. I just really enjoyed just talking baseball in January. I do too, Steve. Hopefully we're talking about it in February at, uh, from some spring training. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. Let's see if they can make it happen. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Thanks Scott. Scott Lauber joining us from the Philadelphia Inquirer. In the uh, final half hour, Greg Pickle will talk Penn State football. Uh, a couple that, that, for example, he mentioned Archie Bradley. Uh, he mentioned, you know, Ivan Nova. Those were code names for Doug Peterson because uh, they just wanted to keep you mentally engaged. I must have missed that memo. And remember, JT Real Muto, what do you want financially? Suit. And he, he said, the suit. They ponied up 115.1 over 5. Back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Anytime at a high school stadium or arena, this is the suit's walk up music as he goes to the booth. <laughs> He changed it up. We went the disco route, and now he's gone the, the heavy rock route. Because that's who he's become. <laughs> All right? When he walks up to that booth right, in the stadium, that's what they play now. Now, Phil Lockoff, Jim, walks in. That's what they play. I'll have to listen for it tonight. All rise. <laughs> So you're going to be there doing TV tonight, huh? I will. Very good. Yeah, you lost your game last night. Yes, we were supposed to do girls basketball last night. Got postponed last minute because of the weather, but looks like we're a go tonight for the shit game, and I'll be courtside tonight on TV, on SECV8. Very nice. That's the way it is right now. Now, last night it was a weather-related situation for you. Uh, for us, it's been okay. You wake up on a given day and you look around and you say, uh, okay, we're playing, right? All right. But seriously. Well, I just went through that, that with Bucknell last week. And now they're, we went from not playing this weekend to now playing again because last week's test ended up being false positives. And that, that was a problem. I mean, Penn State football went through this with 58 yeah. false positives. 58. Penn State had more false positives. There's only one other football team in the Big Ten that was in the neighborhood of the number of false positives. 
but nobody else had that problem. The other 12 did not have the issue with false positives. Penn State and one other school did. And Penn State was still first at 58. They can't figure out why. But at least they were false positives. But what happens with a false positive is somebody has to take said student athlete. They got to drive them to Geisinger, 75 miles away. Boom, go through the PCR test. Boom, turn around, drive back. 75 miles, 150 mile round trip. And then you do get the good news that you're negative. But it's still time consuming to do that on a repeated basis. Greg Pickle, next half hour. Great to have you with us on News Radio 1070. Taking your calls at 800 795 9565. This is The Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Q, it's 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, great, great inventory. And also great pre-owned inventory. Uh, fabulous pre-owned inventory. All with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And a great service department, sales staff that works with you. Uh, they get it done. Let's see. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Okay, so where do we go now? Do we go back to the Doug Peterson should be fired? No. Should we go to... The Eagles made a bad choice. No. Jeffrey Lurie should be fired. No. How about Penn State football? All right, so. That's better. (laughs) First of all, we had to eliminate all of your options. All right, so. (laughs) We had to eliminate the ones that make you feel better. (laughs) Because, again, I feel like here... Part of my job is to be therapeutic. I'll let you let out all the angst, the anger, the venom, the bile. (laughs) Then when the show's over, you go home, you're a happy guy. Lisa can't wait to see you. Little Luke's playing with Daddy. If I don't do this, you're going to go home angry. (laughs) (laughs) They all appreciate that. Hey, I'm just a team player. All right, so let's bring in Greg Pickle from PennLive.com. Greg, great to have you with us. Welcome back, sir. Hey, good to be on with you guys, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, sir. Thank you so much for your time. The um, So Sandy Barber addressed the media yesterday. What were, were one or two bullet points that you thought were important? 
Yeah, there were a couple of Steve. Obviously, you know, the way that she praised James Franklin and the football program as a whole for getting through the pandemic impacted year, I thought was notable. Just one positive COVID-19 test, which I know we've heard so much about that. I think fans, listeners, maybe everyone is just tired of talking about it. But I don't know how you can start this conversation and not note that Despite some of the on-field issues, um, the off-field stuff certainly was a success in 2020 on the COVID-19 front. So I think that's the first takeaway for me. And then from there, you know, she was pretty direct, I thought, about the fact that going to get Mike Yurcich was a change that James Franklin obviously lobbied for, which I think we could easily figure out both because it happened and also the way he talked last week. But, you know, she thought it was the best interest for the school, and they found a way to get it done financially. And you know, it doesn't sound like they had any second thoughts or second guesses about making that move. So I thought that jumped out. And then as we look forward here, what does spring ball look like? What does the blue-white game look like? Is there a blue-white game? You know, a lot of those questions are left to be answered. But you look at the calendar, and it's almost the end of January, and that time's going to be here before we know it. So, you know, I don't think many people are expecting there to be a blue-white game or certainly not one with fans if, if there is a scrimmage uh, sometime in April. But, you know, it sounds like things are rolling right along for spring practice, which is obviously huge because you bring in Mike Yurcich and he's going to need to work with these guys, which is an opportunity Kirk Scirocco, of course, didn't get last year. On the recruiting front, where do things stand? The next signing date is the first Wednesday of February, which is going to be a week from today. So, you know, Penn State's done well with transfers. They certainly did well with their first signing period right before Christmas. What about this one? Well, so yeah, we can start with, I guess, Eric Wilson, the Harvard offensive lineman, the transfer portal edition, the latest transfer portal edition, uh, and a member of this class of 2021. He, of course, is not going to sign next Wednesday. He'll arrive later this year. But another good splash for them in this class, in this cycle. And he was a guy who was considering Auburn and felt like he was kind of uh, taken aback and kind of blindsided by Gus Malzahn getting let go. So Penn State does a nice job reeling him in and We'll see if he can find a spot along uh, the offensive line for Phil Troutwine. I mean, as for the rest of the class of 2021, could we see a surprise or two? Sure. But at this point, it looks like things are pretty well wrapped up, especially after George Rooks, the defensive tackle, four-star from New Jersey, committed to Michigan about a half hour before we started our conversation here. So Penn State fought uh, for quite some time to try and wrestle him away from the Wolverines didn't end up happening so there are of course always options and they'll turn over every stone coming down the wire here both in the high school ranks and the transfer portal but as we've discussed before Steve I don't think they're really going to push and and try and take a guy late and stretch maybe to what you know stretch to offer a guy that they don't really feel maybe it's on the border you know borderline at best um so i think we're probably looking at a pretty uneventful signing day next week though if there's one or two guys to talk about certainly wouldn't be a shock what kind of statement did it make yesterday and this is something i had already heard but the fact that sandy barber talked about the deficit which you know people were guessing could be huge the number's not quite what's what some people had guessed it could be yeah, I mean, clearly this is going to be something that we're talking about for not just the months ahead, but probably years ahead, because even though that number at the moment sounds like it's, you know, more reasonable, I guess you could say, if that's even a fair way of explaining it. Not, not great, but better than expected. How about that? Yeah, that sounds better. You know, obviously there's still going to be impacts down the road, and you know, there was a question asked about, well, what would the impact be of not having fans again this year, which of course 
I think we are all really hoping that that's going to be the case, but it's too far, it's too far too soon to know. And so while things look good now, it's not going to take much for another U-turn to potentially, uh, you know, put things back to where people thought it could be the worst case scenario, so to speak. So, yeah, but it was good. I think that, you know, that number that was floated out there before was obviously quite large. And it's not to say that 20 to 25 million that was discussed yesterday isn't, but certainly I think it seems like with the TV revenue they brought in and, some other areas they were able to either cut cost or move some money around. It sounds like they're getting through this as well as they possibly can with all things being considered. So, you know, a lot of people too, I think figured that some of the sports might be on the chopping block. The and next question. Sandy Barber's been pretty, yeah, right. She's been pretty consistent that they don't really have any interest in going down that road for really the get go. And, you know, she reaffirmed that again yesterday. Yeah, I thought that was also an important part yesterday. You have 31 sports here. It's broad based. And there have been cuts at other schools across the country. I thought, I thought that was quite a statement that. It may not be the last thing, but it, it certainly is far from the first thing they're thinking about doing. Right. And so, you know, again, it's not to say that at some point down the road, the financial reality might make that become a reality. But, you know, she said, what, that they have 30 sports practicing right now? Football, they're expecting to be 31 when spring uh Spring practice rolls around. Of course, we know when that usually starts, and hopeful that it starts then per the usual. But, yeah, I mean, she said that before they even got to the part about cutting sports. So, yeah, that's obviously very far down the priority list. You're right, Steve. Across the Big Ten, there's been cuts. Across the country, there's been cuts. But that is one thing that they're going to try and hold off until the very bitter end, if we would ever even get to that. Greg, you've done this for, for a long time. So for Penn State, once the green light is given – to get recruits on campus, to get back to may not be perfect to begin with, but more of a normal recruiting cycle, more of a way of going about your business in recruiting. What do you think that will do to benefit Penn State? Well, you know, again, James Franklin's talked about it a lot. That it's not a place you necessarily just run into state college. You know, you usually have to map out or plan out how <laughs> you're going to end up there. You don't go for a Sunday drive in most cases and end up in downtown state college. So I think that'll be the biggest impact is how can they use what they've learned through this virtual visit process after all these months to interest guys who maybe are further away to pay for an unofficial visit or to come for an official visit, even though Penn State it may not be a school that they considered as much as other schools. You know, that's, I think, the biggest thing is clearly getting kids back on campus is something that's of the utmost priority, not just for Penn State, but for everyone across college football. But certainly Penn State's among the groups that really needs that to happen before long because, again, I just think that you miss out on so much of what the Nittany Lions under James Franklin have to offer if you're not able to come and actually see it and experience it the town, the atmosphere, the facilities, sitting down with the coaches and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's going to be huge. But then the other thing, again, is how will they be able to use what has been, I guess, seen as a negative over the last nine, ten months, these virtual visits and no visitors to campus and all of that. Because I think that's going to be the other thing is you're going to be able to show – you're going to have – things that you've created through technology that you would have never thought of before at your disposal to maybe try and get prospects here that you would have never thought would visit Penn State, but they see something they like on a phone, on a tablet, on a computer, and decide to come check it out in real time. So I think that'll be a big key of their recruiting efforts moving forward as well. What do, What's your initial read on what they've been able to get uh, verbally in 22 and 23 in those recruiting classes? Because you're always recruiting ahead. 
Yeah, so, you know, again, I think that that is not necessarily maybe ever going to be pointed to as a main or even partial reason why Mike Yersich was brought in and Kirk Sharaka was let go, but they have some darn good playmakers in that 2022 class already. You know, you talk about Makai Flowers and Anthony Ibby and Bo Prabula and Jerry Cross and, you know, the Holden Stays. I mean, there's a, a really talented group of skill players in addition to Drew Shelton, the offensive lineman. So, you know, if you're putting a product out there that – maybe isn't as exciting to watch or maybe doesn't score as much or move the ball as much. And then you have these guys going to visit places, assuming visits are allowed again in this cycle. Right. And they see these really fast, really exciting, really, uh, you know, the one thing James Franklin keeps saying, Steve, that jumps out more and more is this idea of an offense that gets the ball in a lot of guys' hands. And the idea of, spreading it around and getting more guys involved. Clearly that is a big part of it as well. And it should be because they're recruiting skill position guys, tight ends, wide receivers, running backs at a really high level. And you better be able to show these guys that if you come here, even though you might not be the starter, you're going to have a chance to get the ball. So, I mean, they have really done a nice job so far developing uh, relationships with a ton of very good skill players, some of which have already committed and, they, uh, you know, have one of the best classes in the country because of it. So uh, they're off to as good of a start there as I think they could ask for. What kind of read have you been able to get, if at all, f- from uh, some of those offensive players that are considering Penn State about the hire of Mike Yersich? Well, I think, you know, the, the thing is, is that everyone's going to tell you they're, well, they're going to do one of two things. They're going to tell you they're excited about it mm-hmm. and they think it's a good thing or they're just not going to answer it. You know, no one's going to, I don't think any recruit considering Penn State will come out and say, yeah, I don't think that was the best idea. But yeah, I mean, I think that, again, when you put on the tape of what his offenses, his offenses right. have done in the past and you combine that with the stats that they put up, I'm not sure how you you would be, you know, I don't know how you could look at Penn State and say, yeah, that doesn't look like a place I want to go play at. Now, can you say maybe, I don't know if they have the quarterback situation. Sure, obviously that's going to be the next six to eight months of discussion and whatever Penn State is puts on the field at that position, you know, later this year certainly is going to have an impact on how that conversation goes moving forward. But, yeah, I mean, I think you have a lot of guys who think that, okay, they're going to bring this offense in that's going to be fast, going to put points up, and could get me the ball even if I'm not a starter as a freshman. And that's right. going to really entice a lot of guys. Greg, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. Be well. That was the walk-up music the suit had five years ago. I see. Now it's more hard-hitting heavy metal because he feels, you know, in a management position, he's hard-hitting and heavy metal. Yeah, what a change. Sheesh. Now if we could just somehow get the staff meeting to be hard-hitting. What? What? Thought I'd bring it up. Okay. Great to have you with us on the show today. Thanks to Greg Pickle for being with us on the show today. Phil Harrison, USA Today. And Scott Lobber, Philadelphia Inquirer. Miss anything? It's all going to be on the podcast. Where you have to, I do have the obligation to mention my good friend Gary Goloszewski, the curator of the Tomograph Tailgate. Because... 
when he listens to the podcast, I just want to make sure he knows it's there. Yeah. Just thought it was important to do. That's what friends do. Memo to corner office. <laughs> so you got Shemokin and Shikolemi tonight. So how are these two teams playing right now? Um, Shikolemi, not great, but it's kind of hard to tell at the same time because this team hasn't had a full week of action at all this entire season wow. because That's of COVID. So, yeah, it, it's really hard to say. Shemokin, um, they're a little bit down from where they were a couple of years ago on the verge of uh, district championship. So it, it'll be an interesting test tonight for Shikolemi just to kind of see where they're at. Okay. And that's at the Phil Lockoff gym tonight? Correct. Very nice. Good. Uh, well, we have Saturday's Penn State-Wisconsin game at 3 o'clock. Or do we have a curling match? What are we doing? No? Just asking. I got to check. I don't know. I have to check. I don't know. I go for you for information. I get nothing. Oh, uh, yes. We got we got, we got got Penn State on Saturday. Just got the thumbs up from somebody? No, I just checked our, our list here. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Suddenly up out of the hole. There's our thumbs up. <laughs> and back down into the corner office hole we go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what? I saw two baseball fans today, State College Spikes fans. They were like, oh, God, I hope we can get back to the ballpark this summer. We love going there and listening to you and Joe and the whole thing. He's like, hey, believe me. I want I want it to happen. We uh, at some point need to get back to on the pathway to some semblance of normal life here. Some pathway. Yeah. I was just looking at uh, something from Golf Digest earlier today, just thumbing through, and I'm thinking, oh man, I can't wait to get out in the outdoors, golf course, the whole thing. See people, be around people. Hey, now for some people the pandemic's worked out really well. I mean, you know, because there's you know there are a couple of people that just don't like being around people. <clears throat> Can't leave the corner office. I feel good. <laughs> Let's see, Matt and I are people. People, we love being around people. Yes. Definitely so, miss that. Miss being in the ballpark. Miss being at football games. I, so, I I can't wait for that to be back. So how many people are allowed in the gym tonight, in all seriousness? Um, I mean, that I, I don't par- know. Can the parents go? Parents can, but I, I'm sure it's limited. So I'm not sure what the ticket situation is like and if they have any tickets available for the Shemokin parents coming in. I have to ask the suit about that one. But I'm now, sure it's fairly limited. Now, how's Bucknell been? What's allowed there? Bucknell, Anybody? no fans at all, including parents. There's nobody except basically uh, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3 personnel. Okay. That's it. Okay. Because yeah, Penn State went through a a time frame where nobody was allowed in. Well, Penn State, basketball, Penn State went through a time frame where early on parents and a few people were let in. Then it transitioned to nobody was in. That was during that three-week period that the uh, governor had outlined up until January 4th. 
Since then, they've allowed parents in. So last week, for example, Rutgers had parents there, and so did Penn State, and Northwestern was the same way. Now, it's not that many, but they did allow them in. And I think, as Sandy Barber said yesterday, that as of today, if they were to play a blue-white game, they would allow 2,500 in. Okay. Now, that's, t- that's today. Now, 2,500 would be families, parents. You know, that's what right. you're talking about. Yeah, plus participants, media. Uh, but between that, 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 but that's three months away. It's today the 27th. So that you know, that's a little bit less than three months away. We'll see how everything is mm, two months from now. I don't know. Two months from now, we may have a different feel for how things are going. Hopefully, for the positive. Yesterday, I never brought this up. Yesterday, yesterday was the 38th anniversary of Paul Bear Bryant's death. Um, people say the morning he passed away. He was in tremendous spirits. They said about an hour before he passed away, he was kidding around with the staff. And all of a sudden, boom, it was like a code blue. And I remember because I was in Philadelphia that day. I was getting ready to do a game uh, at Temple, uh, John Chaney's first year. They were like, you have to be kidding me because he had just coached his last game December 15th in the Liberty Bowl against Illinois. And 82. That really hit that state hard. All right. Great to have you with us on the show. Peter King scheduled for tomorrow's show. Looking forward to catching up with him. The Super Bowl course now 10 days away. We did not talk about the Super Bowl today. We did not talk about Doug Peterson today. But the suit got a lot of run. 